I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are in the middle of a really, really hard time. We are plagued by a presidential race that is too long and devoid of compassion and grace. We see the rise of nationalism here and around the world with the usual strains of racism, xenophobia, militarism. And that nationalism is probably a response to the heartless globalism that has left so many behind. And of course, in the past few weeks, we have been bludgeoned with more and more and more violence, death, terror. The Orlando massacre, two more black men killed by police, five police officers killed, 84 dead in France, an attempted coup and government backlash in Turkey. It's a lot to take in. It's hard not to lose hope. It's hard not to become numb. And I'm wondering I'm wondering how you're doing. How are you? Really? Are you sadder than usual? Are you angrier? Are you eating, drinking, shopping more? Are you obsessively following the news or are you just trying to block it all out? Are you losing hope? Wherever you are, you're not alone. You're not alone. I know I've ranged all over the spectrum too and I've wondered how we got here. Wondered how much worse it will get and I'm wondering what to do. But even more, a question is beating in my heart, in my brain with each next awful event, the question, just what difference does it make that we are Christian? Now some of you have heard me ask that question in the weekly e-news over and over again. You've heard it in other sermons, and I've been wondering it since Ferguson 
and after Baltimore, after Orlando, but it's relentless now. It gets louder and louder, and it's deafening this past week, echoing the question that Brendan asked in his sermon last Sunday, just what difference does it make that we are Christian? It should make every difference, of course, but does it? As Episcopalians, we belong to a church birthed from the Church of England, still the official state church there, of course. We are not known exactly for being radicals. We are known for sherry, good liturgy, fine music, and all those things are so good, and I love them. But Scripture... Jesus, the gospel, they're not nearly as tidy. And in this violent time, during this political season, it's important to remember where our loyalties lie. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul reminds us that we follow Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, and that he not Caesar, not the president, not any humanly chosen leader is the head of us, the head of the church. And he reminds us that we proclaim one thing and one thing only, Jesus Christ. We don't proclaim the second amendment or any amendment. We don't proclaim the justice system. We don't even proclaim the rule of law. We proclaim love and mercy and forgiveness because we proclaim Christ. Now, in his letter, Paul is taking a real risk. He is calling into question the legitimacy of the Roman government for Christians. Paul claims that Jesus is over everything, and I mean everything, that Jesus is the head of the body which demands our allegiance and our loyalty, and this body's not the state. It's the church. Had Rome intercepted this letter, it would have been grounds for charges of treason, cause for punishment, probably execution. Now, our time, of course, is far removed from Paul's. It's very different, but that time was violent, too. There were oppressed groups yearning to be free then. There were terrorist groups fueled by religion trying to overthrow the government. Rome itself kept the peace only by vigorously oppressing any hint of rebellion. It demonstrated its power by crucifying rebels and leaving the crosses up as a warning to others who might make trouble. Pax Romana was an oppressive military peace that was no peace. And into that reality, Paul dared to offer an alternate vision. Paul dared to say, we follow a prince of peace who has reconciled all who are estranged and all who are hostile. He reconciled those who had committed evil. He reconciled all of this, all of that, all of us 
in his own body through death. In other words, this leader, Jesus, creates peace not by sacrificing others, but by sacrificing himself. He doesn't hunt down others. He doesn't persecute or prosecute others. He doesn't execute others. Instead, he takes it all on, the violence, the terror, the fear, the anger, the blame, the horror, and he takes it to end himself right to the cross. And beloved, wouldn't you rather, wouldn't you rather follow that head than any other leader today? Paul makes clear that we belong to the body of Christ, not the body politic. I know that's hard to wrap our minds around today. Being Christian for many of us is so cultural, we forget that we are supposed to be different. We forget that we are to be in but not of the world, that we are resident aliens. We live in the United States, but we are citizens of the body of Christ, and we are loyal first to God. But if we follow the one, if we follow the one who chose self-sacrifice instead of vengeance, love over hate, humility instead of self-righteousness, mercy, mercy instead of punishment, who was always with the outcast and the oppressed, the forgotten, then how can we think we'll be asked to do any less? After all, the gospel we're focused on this year, the gospel of Luke is all about discipleship. It's all about listening to Jesus and then following him, following him into radical forgiveness, radical love, radical self-sacrifice. It's a tall order, beloved. Our faith, our faith is a great comfort to us because we know that we are loved absolutely and that we will never be forsaken and we know that life wins. But our faith is also a great challenge. We together as the body of Christ are called to live so, so differently than the way of the powers and principalities, so differently than the way of violence and vengeance we offer in our world. Right now we are called to be, as Dr. King said, the beloved community. And we know how to do it. We we know how to do it. I mean, remember, remember when the government itself was telling us that some people were not equal and not worthy of having their love recognized. 30 plus years ago, we were blessing their unions. Remember, a long time ago, before that even, when this neighborhood went through white flight and we didn't get scared, 
We didn't leave. We didn't go to the suburbs. Instead, we put that teeny tiny tacky sign over our door that said, everyone is welcome, and we meant it. Remember how when a few decades ago when we were feeding the homeless over here in what was once our parish hall in the diocesan center and the neighborhood did not like it and they told us we don't want you doing that. We don't want you opening a shelter for homeless men and we said well we're sorry. We were told to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and so we opened a shelter for families. And more recently, our governor told us that we were not allowed, we ought not, to bring Syrian refugees into Indiana. And again, we had to say, we're so sorry. We were told to welcome the stranger. So we joined the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, and we welcomed families in and are walking with a family right now. We know how to be the beloved community. It's a hard time right now. And I'm wondering how you are. And I want you to know that I am available if you want to come and sit with me and talk and pour out your sorrows. If you want to sit with me at the feet of Jesus, just listening. But I also want you to know that the way things are right now are not the way that they have to be. Being a Christian should, it does, make all the difference in the world. For we follow the Prince of Peace, and while that is not easy, and while it will require our courage and our faith, that way, that way, is the only way to hope. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.